Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hey, this is Craig Custance of The Athletic, joined, as always, on Tuesday on the Americans edition of The Athletic Hockey Podcast by Sean Gentili. And boy, do we have, we are now, we are now as uh, revved up for the offseason. It's no longer hypothetical, Sean. We've got trade requests. We have actual trades. We have, uh, there's so much in a draft. We've got, there's, I'm excited. This is, this is the best, best time of year. I don't think the offseason actually starts until I gin up some opinions on draft guys. <laughs> like I've only I've only gotten there in the last couple of weeks. So I'm like, all right, I think I think I know what I'm talking about. And I, the main re- the main reason I'm there obviously is because of guys like our guest Scott Wheeler. He keeps he keeps all of us plebes who don't have time to or don't have uh, the inclination to to watch tape on all the on, on all these guys. <laughs> inclination. Why do I want to not watch any? tape on the, these people I'm going to focus yeah right I any any shortcuts I can take any opportunities to not do my job I'm <laughs> I'm, I'm all for and and man wheels wheels provides that for us right yeah he, we've got Scott he, Wheeler he coming up on everybody it was awesome we've already recorded it and I can you know it's it's really good and it's worth your time so I was so now I wasn't going to go here right away but you got it what's your strongest draft opinion What's Sean Gentili's like player that he loves, even though you haven't either watched any of these guys and, and you're basing it only on your, your reading of Corey Promen, who's dead to us, and Scott Wheeler, who's the best. <laughs> Corey, the Corey, Corey Promen, who is dead to us and, rem- and will remain dead to us as our chief rival on the uh, I've fallen in on, love with William on the Friday show. That's where I'm. That's my. He's, that's my. I mean, we're, we're going back to what we talked about last week, right? Where it's like Eklund's, Eklund's great and I, the, the the scouting reports for Kent Johnson just fascinate me because he's yeah. like not that great of a skater, but he's super skilled and the ceiling's high, but the floor is pretty low too. Like I'm all I'm all I'm all ready for it, man. Let's go. Yeah. Again, I've never seen William Eklund play. Uh, no. Five. Seconds. I wouldn't even know him. He, he could he could walk <laughs> into this room and say, "Hey, I'm William Eklund," and I'd be like, "All right." Uh, somebody we do know well that we've been covering a long time though is Duncan Keith and. I, I know the trade went down yesterday, so I, the way the internet works and Twitter, we, we by this time this drops, we will all have moved on to the next thing. But I do want to talk a bit because I'm seeing a lot of hand-wringing coming from Edmonton and boy, did the Oilers screw up here. That you know, There's terrible cap management, etc. Not saying any of that's invalid. I, I think that the, the majority of the noise seems to be coming from Edmonton. It's our job to give the American perspective. The Chicago Blackhawks traded one of the most important players in franchise history, Sean. And it was like, eh, time to move on, I guess. In, in I, f- we created some I feel like every week we end up talking about something that Lazarus wrote, right? Yeah. Like we end up we end up what having like Mark we end up having like Mark Lazarus corner where we spend 
five minutes talking about, you know, his latest bit, but I thought he nailed it with Duncan Keith because that was my reaction too. I mean, I think part of it was the nature of the trade where it happened in slow motion over the course of like right. five days. So maybe the fan base or whatever sort of resigned themselves to the fact that it happened or that it would happen. Part of it was the way Keith played last year. He stunk. Like that's that's just brass tacks on on yeah. it. So I th- I think maybe people were ready were ready for you know that kind of split to take place. He turns thirty eight in a couple of days. On and on. There's reasons where it seemed like it was a soft exit for 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 Keith out of out of Chicago. But man, to see it in practice yesterday was wild because this is. Two-time Norris winner, had all of his teeth knocked out. <laughs> the best defenseman on, you know, maybe this we'll say the second best team of the of of this era. And it was like Michigan State, okay. of course. Uh-huh, whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it was like it was like okay, like he's he's gone. Like that's yeah. it. What's what's next? It which is which is just wild to me. And I think what Laz hit on too is that this is like. Obviously, Kane and Taves are are still there, but you're talking about a core of seven players, and, and then Joel and Joel Quenville that have just steadily over the last over the last few years made their exit. So, I guess it's just that the that Blackhawks fans and in, in in Chicago and whatever else were just they watched Marion Hossa leave, and they watched Brandon Saad get traded again, and they watched Brent Seabrook retire, and you and you have all these guys that have made their exit already. So it's like. They've, they're just, you know, they've already begun the bargaining process and, uh, you know, with, with all this. But man, again, it's wild because Keith was, you know, for a stretch, you could argue that he was the best player on that, on, on that team, period. And, yeah. and, it, and his, and his exit was pretty unceremonious. And there was also a stretch where it's funny how everything has changed, where Duncan Keith's contract was the best in hockey, mm-hmm. the best, where, you know, he was he was playing because he had one of those long-term deals, he was playing at half price. And everybody, like, the, the Blackhawks, by the way, were the first lightning where everybody was mad about their cap management. Like, they squeezed Patrick Kane in the playoffs. Like, all the stuff that the lightning are doing now is all, this is, you know, nothing's new, right, under the sun. And... You get you had Duncan Keith, who people were just livid because it was a cheater contract. Marion Hosa cheater contract. You know, not me saying that. That was, and now you know now it's like oh terrible contract. And it's one thing. Like I saw a tweet from somebody yesterday that was like, "Hey everybody, can we stop bailing out the Blackhawks?" Like the the one thing they you know they this is a really tough contract to move. They get anything in return for it um, is 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 interesting. And now they've got flexibility. Stashing Hosa. Seabrook retiring. Mm-hmm. You know, you can go down the list of ways that of of ways that they have been I, bailed out. Seems harsh, I guess, but it's but it's but it's true. Right. <laughs> it's tr- it's true. Um, so yeah, they are they're setting themselves up. I mean, no money retained in in sending Keith out, which is obviously the bit that <laughs> the bit that Oilers fans are more livid about than anything else, right? He's, he's, you know, yes, his salary goes down. I think that's a big part of it. He's under, he's under, uh, he's at 2.1 this year and 1.5 the year after still has the 5.5 and change hit. So whatever. Yeah. 
but man, it's another, yeah, it is. It's, it's a wild, it, it's wild. It's, it, it's another example of that team setting themselves up for what comes next. And I think everybody was prepped for the pain to last a little bit longer than it seems like it's going to. And yeah, yeah. like they're like last, last season was weird and they're in a, they're in a kind of an odd, you know, no man's land with, with Taves for plenty of reasons, Ian Kane, but but the flexibility that, that they've gotten with the way this has ended, whether it's Hosa, Keith, you go back, like it's, they're going to have a shot at, at building it back up, I think a little bit sooner than people may, may have anticipated five years ago, let's say. This would almost be like Chris Letang getting traded in Pittsburgh and had been rumored for so long and everyone just being like, oh, it finally happened and what's for lunch? I, di- I didn't want to bring that up because I'm like, mindful of talking about that i'm based in pittsburgh like whatever oh, you are. Mind, i i don't know if i don't know if you know this about me <laughs> yeah i don't it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't come up that often yeah it, i definitely didn't ask scott scott on the spot for his for his best pa prospect <laughs> um but i know I, I truthfully like i i was i that's what i was thinking of yesterday yeah. is like is this what it's going to look like whenever, whenever Chris Letang, who's the obvious analog for the Penguins, the other the other dominant team of the last of, of the last fifteen years, is this what it's going to look like when he leaves town? And I, Chris Letang I, I, is a lightning rod. I think he's been weirdly underappreciated by a huge chunk of the fan base for for a lot of reasons that we don't need to get into here but i can guarantee you that it, that if and when it ends for chris letang in pittsburgh whether it's tomorrow or in three years or whenever it is not gonna look the way it looked like for for, for duck and mm. keith yesterday we are not gonna have the same conversation how much do you think it's because of the um the lawsuit and the allegations against brad aldrich that you know, you can understand Blackhawks fans not wanting to go nostalgic right now. They have a lot on their plate yeah. right now, so I, so I, I get it, and I'm not, and I'm not knocking Blackhawks no, no, fans no. for I like, just think for, like not, for not laying, for not laying like rose petals at Duncan at Duncan yeah. Keith's feet on his way out. Like it makes a lot. The reaction makes sense for 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 plenty. For plenty like that of overshadows reasons. everything though right now. Like that's absolutely, the, the giant, absolutely, like, that's the biggest story, and so it's like. You like, and I know, and I've talked to those guys. It's like, you know, how much hockey do you write, or you know, it's it's this weird balance where like this it's is tough. the most important story, and we're going to keep reporting it, and and it's timely because Scott Powers, Katie Strang, and Mark Lazarus had a story dropping today uh, on the Blackhawks' legal strategy, and which the, is this- which is which is repulsive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it, it just like they're they're fighting to keep this. It's still under wraps as much as they possibly can, right? right like, like, right. like that's that's the upshot of it. And again, like read read the story by by those three. They go into it Crushed in it. depth, but like at, you know, you keep seeing drips and drabs from this, and that overhangs everything. So I think that's that's a that's a that's a gigantic part about it, and it sucks. Like it sucks for a million reasons. Somewhere down the list is that it's stopping guys from Keith, I think, from from getting the kind of the the kind of uh you know treatment on the way out that they should. It's a shame. Mm-hmm. It's just this weird thing because I think that maybe that's part of why we're hearing you know there's you're not gonna you're not gonna like throw bouquets at Stan Bowman, right? Like for clearing cap space when 
his name is all over the, you know this other seriously coverage. like oh yeah way yeah. way to go Stan Bowman for get for getting a conditional second back for for Duncan Keith like like what do you do like you can't yeah. you can't give him, no, you can't give him credit for that because right. he's because he seems to have failed in so many other much more important ways aside from winning a trade right so that right. yeah that's that's all that's all in the air too but it has it's made it's made for a weird twenty four hours here I thought in that coverage. Um, you know, one of the, there was a quote from a league executive um, in the story today that in talking about Stan Bowman that he the quote is he's proceeding as if he's in charge and he's going to be in charge for the next X amount of years of his contract and that's how he's conducting his business. He's conducting Blackhawks business that hasn't changed and and you know at some point it'll be interesting. Um, there, you know, he's going to have to go in front of the media. Media, they're going to make a draft pick. They're going to make a trade, and and like they've again in the story, they talk. The Blackhawks have gone into bunker mode, and and we when you're you know a, a one of the faces of the franchise, and you your job is to discuss with the media. You can't like you can't exist in bunker mode. He can put his head down and he can try to whistle mm. through the graveyard for the time being, but he's not going to be able to do that forever. And yeah. and we're and we're we're coming up to the draft and we're coming up to, you know, this this weird little post cup lull that we have in in the in the schedule is is going to end. And he and he's yeah. going to have to and he's going to have to answer for stuff. So he can focus now on trying to win trades and squeeze a second conditional out of the Oilers rather than just a third and whatever. But not going to be able to do it forever. Yeah. Um, it, it, you're right in how that trade, that trade, and this, and maybe this is happening again with Eichel and Tarasenko. Like it does seem mm-hmm. like it's, it, it happened in slow motion is a really good way to put oh. it. And, and, you know, I, so raises the question is what's the next one on the docket? And, and how many I, times have we, how many times have we seen the time for it, the time frames change on Eichel and now Tarasenko? Like we are, yeah. Six weeks ago or a month ago, we're like, watch out. Eichel could get traded during the playoffs. And it's like, well, now it might not happen till after the expansion draft again. It's, 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 uh, anticlimactic, yeah. I, I think, if nothing else. Well, I, I think I, part of it is, you know, if you're, if you're acquiring players for Eichel or you're sending them the other way, like this, that complicates all the work that teams have put into their expansion draft protected list. So now you've got to add more players to the list. Even you saw some of that with the Duncan Key thing. Now you know what do they do with some of the the, the players they still have to sign? There's there's all these complicating factors. So that's why I think we're going to get. I, we have to get through the expansion draft um, before, and then I think there's just going to be this flurry of activity. Nine out of ten moves should wait until after yes. the expansion draft. There, like really like yes, yes, there's there's some stuff you could do if you're a team who's look who needs to make moves to set up your protect list the way the way that you want. Those moves exist, mm-hmm. but for the most part, you you'll be much better served waiting. Which is why the the initial you know a, a few weeks ago where it's like well you could get a, maybe we will get this but before the expansion draft the the logical question when you hear yeah. that is like is why. Why? Why would we? Why would? Why would the Sabers move move Jack Eichel now versus versus in you know the nineteen days or or, right. or or whatever? I thought um, another name that was thrown in the mix today, and his name has kind of been out there, kicked around as a trade option. Was Rick Carbonello had a story and, and Pavel Buchnevich, and and I, you know I think part of it is he's got a contract coming up. Um, Carpy spoke with his agent Todd Diamond, who said, "You know, they expect to have some conversations, and that the Rangers will qualify him." Um, but you also have an organization there that's loaded uh, with good young forwards, specifically on the wing. And you know, if you're trying to 
make an upgrade or, you know, Carp even floated this, Tarasenko, maybe this is where you build a Tarasenko deal around. Can you imagine a, a, a Rangers team with the talent they have, um, Panarin and Tarasenko? I mean... What percentage would Tarasenko need to come back for you for, for it mm. to be worth it? Because everyone's concerned because he's had two serious shoulder surgeries and there might not be a third based on based on, on what we've heard. Like he's right. he's on the razor's edge with this. So like whatever, you're not getting you're not getting the tank from five years ago, probably. But still a pretty good player. If you get like 75% Tarasenko. Like, is that is that good enough to make to make the Godfather offer? And, and again, we have a package from from Jeremy Rutherford that's like in a bunch of other writers that are sort of that's sort of trying to, you know, postulate what a what what a Tarasenko deal would look like. And they're yeah. they're asking for a lot, as as is understandable. They are, and but I mean you're right. This isn't this isn't Tarasenko from five years ago. Like this mm-hmm. is this is heavy mileage playoff runs um you know i, I he's a tank for sure but I, like the, i mean I, I it was only one line in carpy story i think the rangers it makes almost no sense to me like no, like no. what what giant hole are you filling by bringing him in and then you like you've got young players you're gonna have to sign like it's cap a cap space is a thing it's here. a cap can, well because like you're you're just moving you're moving one you're moving a certain kind of problem for another certain kind of problem where it's like, we have, we have too many, we have too many wingers. We're going to have to pay them at some point. So you go out and you move one of those wingers for another winger that, that that, that eats up gap space and kind of stops you from setting your salary structure for the next however many years. I mean, it's, would it be fun? Like, absolutely. Everyone loved Tarasenko and, you know, Panarin and whatever, everybody, I think on some level, uh, it would be fun to watch the Rangers go all in. I, 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 I think it's, <laughs> I'm not bored with it. I'm not saying totally, it would be fun. Totally, it's it's always it it, it's, it's fun in general to watch teams go all in. Everyone's yeah. like, yeah, tra- like you're, you're the Kings trade trade Quentin trade Turcotte yeah. for 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 Jack Eichel, like whatever. We're all rooting for that on, on some level, just because it's a great story. But from a hockey standpoint, like is 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 juicy as it is, I don't I don't think it makes a ton of sense. All right, so Jeremy Rutherford reports in his story. So Tarasenko has uh, a list with as many as ten teams in which he approve a deal. Uh, Jr. speculates that there's five that that makes sense in terms of what he's hearing that that, that Tarasenko would accept: the Rangers, the Islanders, the Golden Knights, the Bruins, and the Flyers. Is there a team in that group that it makes? So we're gonna we'll remove the Rangers from the equation. I don't think it makes a ton of sense, even though I'm sure Tarasenko would love to go to New York. Is there a team in that group where you're like that? I like that. I think that's. The I, I love him on the Islanders, dude. <laughs> I like that. Love it. Do you love it? Yeah, I like. I'm always for the Islanders trying to add offensive pieces. You know, yeah. like I, I think that was what we talked about. You know, in the run up to the deadline with them, because you know they lose, they lose Anders Lee and blah blah, right? So, so everyone's like, "Oh, go out and get Kyle Palmieri." It happens. Basically worked. Yeah. D- delayed. It, it worked. T- <laughs> basically, t- you don't have to modify it. It was a t- it was a time release on it, like right, where it looked like it looked <laughs> like it was it looked like it was it was gonna backfire a bit, like in the regular season. But all is well that ends well. Like he he looked great there. I love. I love the idea of, uh, of the Islanders of the Islanders taking a swing mm. and they have, you know, uh, Jr. And, and Corey 
talk about this too. I think I think Noah Dobson is is the is the name there just because they're uh, because they are fairly stacked al- along the blue line, so they would be dealing from from a position of strength. And we have seen Lou like with the Palmieri deal, like he'll spend to the cap. He doesn't. He doesn't care. He'll, he'll add. He'll, there's no. There's no. Gov, there's no governor there. Like if yeah. if he wants. If he wants a guy, he can. He's obviously got carte blanche to to go to go get him. I think that'd be fun. I would. Be, I like that. I'm with you. I'll, I'll go with the Islanders as the the fit. I would like to see. And Lou has a history of going out and getting Russians, and he's. You know what I mean? Like that's that's and, part and of in Ru- in Russian players love 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 New York. I, yep. I know. I know, uh, you know, Nassau County or, or, or wherever those guys would live isn't is, isn't quite the same as you know Brighton Beach or whatever. But man, that's a it's a it's a fit it's a fit for a lot of reasons. I think we should adopt the Islanders in the show as the American. I love like it. The American I'm with team it. that nobody covers really besides Arthur Staple. I mean, at a national level, you never no one they always get disrespected, and here they all they've done is gone to two straight conference finals. <laughs> Have the best coach in the game in Barry Trotz, maybe. John Cooper probably would have something to say about that. But uh, Lou Lamarillo, I mean, come on. That, we should, that should be like the unofficial official team of this podcast. They were one game from winning a Stanley Cup. Yeah. You know, in, in retrospect. They'd have, they'd, have, they'd have beat Montreal. They would have beat. You're right. And it was a one nothing game. Like they, in, <laughs> in seeing what Tampa they yeah. did to Montreal and just dismantling the Canadians, just – you know, systematically there. Like boring, it made with the bo- Islanders. A boring, a boring series, by yeah, the way. Like we can, really, we can really. say it. It was a, it was a, it was a dud. I had to do uh I had to do the live blog for game four. What a slog. Yeah. <laughs> I very rarely feel that way about cup finals games. I'm like, ah, Christ, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta watch this now. So they're one or they're two goals away from winning a Stanley cup this mm-hmm. year. If they beat, yep. if they could have won two, one in game seven, instead of one, nothing. Yep. Yeah. That's uh, that, the official that's the official team of the Tuesday edition of the Athletic <laughs> Hockey Show. All right, we're, we're, we're we're Islanders fans now. We're oh, rooting we're just for them. Fans. We're just oh, absolutely! The- <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna go buy my I'm I'm gonna go buy my Pollock jersey like oh, now. Yes. We are thrilled to be joined now by uh, prospect writer for the Athletic. In my opinion, pound for pound the best pro- prospect writer we have way better than Corey Pronman, probably by, a lot. by quite a bit. Yeah. I, like a lot. And we like Scott Wheeler so much um, that he's our first Canadian guest on the American, the all American Americans oh, wow. edition of, yeah, this is, we made an exception a for privilege you. Privilege and an honor. Um, congratulations, buddy. Yes. Yeah, congratulations. The, the plaque, the plaque is in the mail. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we broke the seal here. Um, Scott, I, I wanted to start. The timing is perfect, like, like with this. And it, I won't. I want to act like we planned it. And and you dropped a story today. It was our A one offering at the Athletic, which goes to all subscribers. It's the biggest story of the day on our site um, every day. And you had that. You filled that slot today with your story um, on Malky Sam. Sam. Oh, I was going to try to pronounce it. Samskovich. Is that right? Yep, Samoskovich. Samoskovich. I I even prepped it too and asked you. And he, um, it, it's a story of, of him. He's a projected first or second round pick uh, who was who was part, him and his family, part of the Sandy Hook shootings. And it's an emotional read. It's, you know, it's really, by the end of it, you're like, it, it's, it, you know, it's, uh, it's about life. It's about hockey. It's about using hockey as an escape. How did that story come together, Scott? 
Well, it really just started, I mean, in research for the draft a couple of years ago, I couldn't help but notice that it was just listed in his bio as being from Newtown, Connecticut. Um, Mm -hmm. And then from there, it was okay doing the mental math in my head of how old would he have been? Does he have siblings and family that live in the area? That kind of a thing. Uh, And then you obviously hope and pray that none of them were were impacted in any sort of fatal way, obviously. Thankfully, that wasn't a part of this story. Uh, all three of their, their kids had attended the school. Um, from uh, Sandy Hook was is sort of was and uh, sort of from kindergarten through grade four. Uh, him and his twin sister Maddie were in grade five uh, when it happened. Um, so they were. It happened in December. They were really in the early stages of their life at a new school. Uh, and would have just left Sandy Hook that spring uh, when they graduated, right? So they they they'd been there for four years. They knew the faculty, they knew the students. Um, the, some of the teachers who were lost, unfortunately, had taught them. So they were lucky that it hadn't impacted them, uh, sort of firsthand, but definitely secondhand. Uh, so then it was just in terms of the story process was just about reaching out to them and feeling it out because you don't want it to be mm-hmm. exploitative. You don't want it to be something that it's not. Um, if this wasn't something that impacted them in, in any serious way, then I didn't want to write it that way. I was happy to write a, a hockey story about Mackie as a prospect, if that's what it was. Um, but it, it did impact them in a serious way. And in particular, his father, Fred, who ended up on the scene that day and spent the entire day on the scene that day um, and was sort of helping to direct traffic as things piled up, as cars and cop cars and state troopers and ambulances piled up. Uh, he would just so happen to be driving through uh, as all of this was taking place. And him and his wife were sitting in the diner, literally right, almost right next to the school as all of the cop cars started racing by. Um, so then it was about, it was really about that day and their experience, all of their experiences in that day. His older sister, Melissa, uh, has won world championships for the United States, uh, is a very accomplished hockey player at the pinnacle of her sport in her own way. And she was away at Shattuck that day, sort of following it on her phone and following it on Twitter and worrying about whether their school was impacted and not knowing whether their school was a part of it. And just all of that sort of wrapped up into this story about ultimately that day and their experiences that day, but then also just their town and how they came together in the aftermath and what that day has meant for their family and, and their new appreciation for what their family really means to, to them. Um, so it, it, it wasn't just about that day and it, it, it shouldn't have been, but they were, they were very kind and generous to, to really relive it with me and, and walk me through it because they, they absolutely did not have to do that. Just, I'm assuming everyone listening is familiar with the story, but that's the Sandy Hook shooting is when the gunman walked in. 26 people were killed, including 20 children. And, you know, in our country, that's as, as many terrible incidences as there are or have been since then and continue to be. That That's one that I think has stuck with a lot of people for a lot of different reasons. And clearly in reading the story, the detail in which the parents and the kids remember everything right to, you know, sitting in the diner and what they're thinking is the police cars drive by and, and everything. It's, it, you know, clearly, clearly made a huge impact. And, and I'm wondering, did you get any sense of, um, you know, how they balance such a tragic event, a life altering event with, you know, something, I don't want to say trivial as hockey, but it's like, how, how do you think it impacted their path in the, in the sport? 
Well, it was funny. The first time that, that both Patty and Fred, uh, and funny is the wrong word, but the first time that Patty and Fred sort of took a deep breath, they were both very emotional during my conversations. Fred, the father in particular, was was very, very emotional in our conversations. And the first time that they ever really lightened up and brightened up was when they started laughing about how that weekend they, they faced the decision on sort of really what to do. They were, they were kind of feeling lost. The parents in particular were really grappling with it. Um, Melissa flew home early for her Christmas break uh, for, to, to sort of just be with her family. And they just didn't really know what to do. Did they sort of stick around and lay low in town or did they sort of get out of town and get the kids thinking about something else? And what they ultimately ended up doing was renting ice on a rink outside of town in a nearby town and just sort of leaving town for the weekend to go stick the three kids on on a hockey rink and just let them hmm. do that to escape. And the way that they talked about hockey and their connection as a family, that's really what it's been all about always for them. Uh, it's pretty unconventional, I would say, to have a family of three hockey players and two of them be girls. We hear so many stories about brothers, right? And and these NHL brothers who follow in their footsteps. But really for Mackie, his, his idol is his big sister. And the mm. three of them have always shared that. They have a rink in their backyard, which Fred joked with me, you, you don't find many hockey rinks in, in backyards in Connecticut. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's hockey is just everything to them. It's always been their, their escape. They laughed about how they, they didn't use, uh, they didn't have vacations growing up. They didn't go to the Caribbean or go to Disney world. Their vacations were to Philadelphia and Boston and Toronto and Edmonton every weekend for ho the various hockey tournaments that the three kids were in. So it was always their way of, of just sort of connecting of being together of sort of strengthening the bond that they had as a family and then obviously the tragedy is is a piece of that as well and just what family now means to all five of them and and how tight they hold each other hmm. he played um for the chicago steel he's headed to ann arbor to play for the university of michigan mm -hmm. and you talked to talk to a few people um you know ryan hardy and you talk to people in the hockey community just in terms of his skill set and, and what he projects, I think one of the quotes said something along the lines of "not a lot of holes in this kid's game." Is he is he first round material in your mind, or like where do you see his story ending up? On draft yeah, he's one of those kids anywhere from kind of twenty to forty, so he'll be uh, mm -hmm. late first, early second at the latest, I would think. Um, absolutely one of the most gifted players in the class. All of I spoke to four or five of his old coaches for this story, and they all said the same thing. Like this kid, in terms of his skating and his skill with the puck, is right up there in the sort of top 10 of this draft. Um, a little bit of work to, to do on some of the rest of the stuff, but he's a legitimate high-end offensive player who is kind of that creator that Ryan Hardy and Brock Sheehan, that, that who, who previously ran the mm -hmm. Chicago program, have done such a good job of, of bringing into that steel program to make it what it is. And I mean, they've got an embarrassment of riches, we know, at, at Michigan already. And he's just going to add to that next year. Okay. I, so... I um, I wanted to clumsily transition because you mentioned Ryan Hardy, and I'm, I imagine in the in the process of getting to you know do this story and many other talent players have come through this deal. Ryan Hardy has recently got hired by the Toronto Maple Leafs, um, pretty important role. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, knowing what you know about Ryan and, and kind of how the different thinker he is, and of course, like it was the least surprising hire I've ever probably ever seen. Like it, he just kind of fits into that 
mindset of what Kyle Dubas is trying to do and, and surround himself with people that think differently. What, how do you expect to, his impact to be in Toronto? Well, I think it's going to be real. I, it's funny. I, I texted Ryan yeah. as soon as I heard the news that it's been a pleasure knowing him as a source and have fun in the cone of silence, <laughs> right? Like it's <laughs> see you later. Ryan. <laughs> so he, he, I mean, he's been great to me over the years. He's one of those guys. He was in the, that hockey expert group text feature that I've done twice where I invite oh, right. people to just sort of text with me during a game kind of thing. Um, and, and he's just been wonderful. And he's one of those guys who just loves to talk as well. Like he, he'll just talk and, and sort of break things down in nuance that I think is pretty rare among hockey people. Uh, he's definitely thinks outside of the box, which is something that Kyle has made clear in Toronto is something he covets in the people that he works with and the people he surrounds himself with. They did things completely differently. Uh, he was joking with me in the days before he hired, he was hired that he was starting to make some enemies in junior hockey up in Canada because they were taking so many players out of the OHL, so many top prospects out of Canada. And even this year out mm-hmm. of the BCHL, they, they brought in Jack Barr and they tried very hard to, to recruit Kent Johnson uh, and sort of pull him away from the BCHL. So they, they, they've done it differently. They've been pretty bullish about recruiting there. And I think that's where his role is going to come in handy. He, he's got the development aspect. He's worked with a lot of the people who already work with the Leafs. Obviously, Greg Moore was his coach with Chicago. He's worked with Daryl Belfry and Adam Nicholas, who also work as skills sort of development people with the Leafs. So it's becoming a little bit of a Chicago conglomerate in the Leafs sort of front office development team. But I think he'll be really good for them in two ways. One is just recruiting. Uh, The the Leafs Mm -hmm. uh, target aggressively players in Europe. We know that they've gone after a lot of players out of the KHL in recent years. And I think they'd like to do the same in just in terms of recruiting out of the United States and Ryan through Chicago and through his time before that at the national development program just knows it in and out. Uh, and has the connections yeah. there. So I think that will help for the Marlies and the Growlers as they just try to continue to recruit for both of those teams, which are is ultimately what he's going to be overseeing. And then the development process, he's just all about that sort of holistic, everything under one roof, top to bottom, everybody's on the same page kind of process. That's what they were in Chicago. And that's what the Leafs have tried to do through all three levels of, of their sort of professional organization in Toronto. So I, I, I just think he'll be a natural fit and, I'm just really happy for him as well because he's a wonderful guy. <laughs> you mentioned you mentioned losing him as a source. You can just you can just slide someone into that space. You know, <laughs> I'm always amazed whether it's you or the or the villain Corey Pronman. I'm just amazed at the breadth and depth of of uh, of the well that you guys have to draw from for just from people people to talk to in general about these guys. Like the the, the amount of contact that you guys have with with uh, development guys or, or junior coaches or, you know, college staffers or whatever is honestly, it, it's, it's mind boggling to me. So how's, how's that, how do you balance that in general, including this time of year? Because I, I know you guys constantly have feelers out to people to, across the continent to, to try to, you know, just add information on, on, uh, on, on, on these players. Well, I think we're lucky that way. A, there, there isn't the sort of jaded relationship that a lot of NHL folks have with, with mm-hmm. reporters and with the media and B it's yep. ultimately their job as much as it is to develop them and coach them. It's also their job to promote them, right? Like they want these kids mm. to progress up levels. So it's in their best interest, whether it's NCAA or junior or the teams in Europe, it's in their best interest to, to really be eager to talk to people like us. So I just think we get lucky that way versus NHL reporters. So I think just have to work a lot harder to build those connections. 
uh, they're, the, the, these folks are just a lot more amenable to it. Uh, and then the same is true, I think, of their families. You get to, and their agents, frankly, you get them before they're in the NHL. And as a result, you get them just a lot more open to wanting to share their story. They've never shared it in many cases before. So you're not asking them a question that they've been asked 15 times already, which makes it a little bit easier to go a little deeper on and just sort of building that connection and building relationships with them in that way. Um, so I, I just think it's the way that it's set up is that these kids and their the people who surround them are just so eager to try and make it to the next level. And the people around them are so proud of what these kids in many cases have accomplished that it, there's a lot of tire pumping, which is you actually have to be a little wary of, I think. Yeah, you'll probably have to sift through some of that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that was, that, that was honestly my next question. Like, how do you balance your opinion as an evaluator of these players with the word of their coaches yeah, yeah, yeah. and their families and themselves whenever completely understandably their job is, in a, like you said, it's, it's kinda, it, it is kind of to pump tires and it is to play hype men for these, for these guys because there is a lot at stake, whether it's for the player individually, whether it's for the the staff has been charged with their development like how do you how do you thread that needle because you know someone like me who doesn't you know i don't i don't watch these guys yeah. right so i so i re- i rely on the word of 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 you and Corey and and, and guys mostly, like that to, mostly to, wheeler but mostly mostly wheeler we're we're fast approaching a 90 a 90 10 split on that one for <laughs> sure but yeah no it's, <laughs> but like, I, it's definitely difficult good. you have to be wary of of everybody's position it's the same thing when you're dealing with an agent on anybody whether it's these kids or their nhl clients like that you have to be aware of their motives and the way that they're going to talk to you about out their guys and that kind of a thing. Um, but I, I just trust myself on the flip side to, to sort of just mm-hmm. watch these kids put in the time, make sure that I'm balancing what I'm seeing with what I'm being told. And then NHL scouts are always a good sort of middleman, even if it's off the record, mm-hmm. just to go to them to say, is coach or general manager X out to lunch in their belief in this player? And NHL scouts are normally pretty, <laughs> they're not known to hide their feelings one way or the other, right? They're, they're pretty blunt <laughs> with their assessments of a lot of these kids. So I think just using them can help you sort of recenter to, to sort of find that middle ground and find that truth in terms of who these kids actually are. Cause it, it, it is tough to deal with, to deal with, you know, 17 year olds or 18 year olds. <laughs> there's a, there's a, there's a level of, you know what? What do what do I care if if a twenty eight year old NHL player is good or bad? Like they're 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 a professional. They're paid as such. Like there's there's less of there's there's less of a personal connection mm-hmm. there when uh, you stack it up next to you, who's talking to these kids. You know, brothers and sisters and and and, and mothers or fathers. So yeah. so just just the ability to balance like your own personal relationships with with these families, which is on a level that NHL reporters just don't generally don't get um it's it's wild and, and it's and it's impressive yeah there's definitely the odd kid too where you honestly find yourself rooting for them yeah um, i've been pretty upfront about that like i think marco rossi in particular uh, he's a kid who i've developed a really strong relationship with over the years and i just think he's a mm-hmm. wonderful kid i would really like after all that he's been through to see him succeed uh, i did a story last year on zade wisdom same kind of thing like i still text with his mom and, and keep in touch with her mm-hmm. and i'm just generally rooting for him and uh so you have to be wary of that because i think that can if you let that shade your evaluations of the kid then you start to lose a little credibility that way but uh, 
yeah, it, it's hard at times to sort of divorce yourself from the reality of also sort of wanting some of these kids who you have developed a closer relationship with to succeed. I, I think people appreciate that, though, to, to, to some extent. I, I think that comes through with readers, especially when you're honest about it. And you're like, hey, like Zaid Wisdom, he's like, I'm, I'm rooting for him. Yeah. Marco Rossi, like, I'm rooting for him. I, I, think, I think that helps you know, your work connect with, connect with readers on, on a, on a pretty real level when, when they know that that's the angle that you're coming from. And honestly, when a kid is able to build a relationship with a reporter and have you feel like it's a genuine connection, I think that also says something about just who they are as a person, because a lot of these kids, they're that sort of, I I hate to say it, but they're, they're hockey players, right? They, there's a bravado about them. When you talk to them, they say all of the right things they, uh, they all have the exact same answers to the same kinds of questions. So the kids who aren't like that, I, I think, I mean, it, it's, it's not a hockey skill. It's not some translatable hockey skill that they're showing you, but I think they are showing you something about who they are, their maturity level, um, how they handle themselves. You can tell when a kid is genuinely interested in a conversation and that kind of a thing. Uh, and there are just so many kids who aren't. Scott. I want you, we touched a little on the USHL. We touched, we mentioned the University of Michigan. I'm curious. I mean, we are, we already know that the USHL is the best junior league in terms of talent in the world. Um, <laughs> huge gap over anything coming from Canada. 90, How, like 90, 90, 10 yet again. 90, 10 again. The, that's right. That's the right. Prom, the prom and Wheeler gap. Um, but this year's especially interesting because obviously, you know, college hockey players had an advantage of just being able to get on the ice and USHL played. And, and there's – how do you see that impacting this draft, like just in terms of reps and exposure? Oh, well, it's definitely real. I mean, the, yeah. Q, the Q played the close – of the three leagues up here, the Q played the, obviously the closest to kind of a regular equivalent schedule to the USHL. But the WHL kids got anywhere from kind of 15 to 20 games. And obviously the OHL kids, unless they went elsewhere, got nothing. So it it was a big deal that the USHL played through it. And that came with some stories that frankly haven't probably come to light as much as they should have in terms of COVID and the number of kids in the USHL and families over Thanksgiving, et cetera, who who contracted it. So there there was a price that came with USHL putting on its season in the way that they did. But the USHL played a full year and it's going to be a huge benefit to the kids that played there in terms of their draft stock. There's no question. I talk to scouts all the time and they say, we're evaluating these kids on equal footing, yada, yada, yada. But at the end of the day, are you going to take the kid who played 60 games this year or are you going to take the kid who you haven't seen play since he was 16 years old, right? Like it's just, Mm. it's It's a no brainer. So (laughs) I think the top prospects out of the OHL, they all got to play somewhere and they're all going to be picked as first or second rounders regardless. They all played in Switzerland or Slovakia, but the kids who were in Canada hoping to get drafted in rounds four, five, six, seven, you have to feel for those kids, I think, because their draft may pass them by without really anything that's in their control in terms of their own status. So uh, those kids are, are in a tough spot and, and the kids, I mean, a lot of kids also went South like OHL kids. I mean, Cole Sillinger is a medicine hat tiger, but he played the full year in the USHL and he helped his draft stock in a big way by doing that. And Mm. it's probably going to be a top 15 pick instead of a top 30 pick as a result. So um, there's definitely stories of kids who benefited. And I think there's, also a connection now uh, among a lot of Canadian kids who are considering going, who have, who are sort of debating going the college route where they just trust that the USHL is, is going to sort of 
be always be there in maybe a way that they don't trust the OHL. I've heard a lot of disappointment from agents and young hmm. sort of 14, 15 year old players coming up in terms of what happened in the OHL this year and how disappointed they were that the OHL never managed to get things on the rails. So uh, th- there's there's some some resentment that I think could linger and the USHL pulling off the season that they did is probably going to help them in terms of recruiting players long term hmm. as well. All right, let's do let's do let's do lightning round. Who's your favorite prospect from Pennsylvania? <laughs> from Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania. I would the have, great state of Pennsylvania. Yeah. Can you give them some multiple choices? Uh, yeah. No. Can, can, can I ring Pierre no. McGuire on this? <laughs> no. no, no, you may not. Uh, um, best American in the draft. Ooh. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of Chaz Lucius. I keep hearing that he's going to go a little bit lower than I mm. sort of have had him ranked. I think he's a legit sort of top 10 guy. I think Luke, mm-hmm. will, Luke will be the first American picked. Um, but yeah. I'm, I, I think there are, there are some real worries about Luke Hughes and what kind of player he's going to be long-term. The fact that he's one of the youngest players in the draft certainly helps. The fact that he's now, uh, according to himself, fully healthy from the foot injury helps. Uh, but he, he's not Quinn. Um, so they're very different players and we'll Mm. see what, what path Luke takes, but, um, I, I, it's, it's Luke or Chaz for me, for sure. You're not a Maddie Beneers fan. Matt, I think his ceiling is going to result in him being that sort of very, very good NHL player. I think that's going to be. I probably shouldn't have even said that Luke was going to be the first American off the board because Matt's probably going to end up in Seattle, would be my guess. Yeah. Um, but I keep seeing that. Yeah, Matt, the, the thing with Matt is he's, I have no doubt he's going to be a really, really, really good NHL player. Um, but if we're talking ceiling and the potential yeah. of that sort of stardom, I think Chaz has an opportunity to score 40 goals in the NHL if he really figures it all mm-hmm. out. And I mean, Luke, with the way that he skates is is built to be if if he can sort of iron out some of his kinks built to be that sort of classic modern defenseman that we all love now. So uh, I, I think if, if either of those kids hit their ceiling, they will be better or more impactful players, maybe not better players, but more impactful players offensively than Matt Beneers will be. Is there a, is there a U.S. player like in your evaluations that you kind of find that you're the outlier on? Like, are you are you higher on anybody in particular than than, than you find other guys are? Sasha Pastorjov is is probably the one that comes to mind. Sasha had a season that would put him in line with the Cole Caulfields and the Alex Turcotts of the last and the and the sort of. The, the the true upper echelon of the NTDP in terms of his underlying numbers, his data, the, how he has produced. So Sasha's a kid that that I really, really like. I think he's got a chance to yeah. be a top six forward, and he doesn't necessarily go in that kind of range. He's probably going to go late first, early second, and I think he should go sort of in the teens, if you will. Hmm. Um, last question for me. I, I, I think this draft, because of all the circumstances we talked about, there's going to be a player taken randomly that's maybe going to be the best player in the draft, right? Like just because we don't have enough sample size and it's hard enough as it is in a regular year. Do you have any predictions for some guy that you would say, you know what, this we, we haven't seen a ton of him um, and that's going to hurt his draft stock, but there's there's such a high ceiling that he this could be like the the home run swing for a team. Ooh, uh, I don't know whether there's a kid who we haven't seen enough of. I do yeah. think there are kids who could sort of sneak in and, and be that kind of player. Cole Sillinger is the player who I always come to on this kind of a question just because yeah. 
Mm-hmm. He's not widely regarded in that group of nine, ten players that every scout is is in love with in this draft. He's probably going to go in that sort of 11 to 15 range. And I think Cole has a chance to be one of maybe the only two or three players in this draft who's kind of a 70 to 80 point guy in the NHL. Like him and Kent Johnson are probably the two most purely gifted players in the draft in terms of offensive upside. And if Cole Sillinger becomes a 70 to 80 point player as a 11 to 15th overall pick, he's going to look like a top five to 10 pick in this draft long-term. So Cole would probably be my answer. I think he has everything he needs. If he can get a little bit quicker, he's going to be a star. You love Kent Johnson. Cole Sillinger, the rare underrated player who has an NHL NHL uh, alum is a a father. That that, that never happens. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Scott, we we kept you too long. I know this is a busy yeah. time for you. So, again, great job on the on the Sandy Hook story. I would Absolutely. encourage anyone listening to this to go read. Go to the Athletic. Uh, go to the a the, the go to the um, app, and you can read it right away. It's it's the yep, top story right on there. the Athletic app today. And Deserve, um, deservedly deservedly so too. Yeah, fantastic work. Great read. And then uh, I'm sure anything you got coming, you want to plug, Scott. Just the draft coverage, the usual sort of look at all of the players. We've got a couple uh, more features sort of on specific players. I've got a, a big one on Owen Power that's done that should be out mm. in the coming days that I'm looking forward to sharing. So that kind of stuff just leading into the draft. And then draft day is just sort of the monotonous. Here is what I think of every single player <laughs> that I know anything about. And the kids that I don't know anything about, I'm not going to lie to you and pretend that I do. So that's kind of where I'm at. I'm, it's sort of heading into draft day. Unlike Sean and I, who have very strong opinions about everybody taking, yeah. even though I get, I, oh. I get, t- I get tired by proxy reading Scott's work because okay? you just like, oh, oh my god, awesome. second, secondhand exhaustion. Well, hopefully the draft <laughs> oh doesn't gosh. take the uh, like fifty hours that it felt like it took last year to un- actually unfold. Fingers crossed for you, buddy. That was that was that was painful. <laughs> That second day was like a uh, it middle like school a, swim meet. Is time warp. Absolutely, absolutely. That was that was that was a that was a track meet that that, that oh last gosh. way too long. Uh, thanks, Scott. Yeah. We'll, we'll catch up after. Thanks, guys. That's a great segment there from Scott Wheeler. Uh, I, I love our draft coverage at the Athletic. This is I, not to just pump the tires of of the company because I'm a company man. We're, we have so much coming around the draft with Corey Pronman and Scott Wheeler and our all of our beat writers. I, like I've seen the plans, I've seen what's at, what's on the line, what's at stake here for coverage. It's going to be massive. So. Scott, I hope he's. Uh, I hope he is able to get some rest between now and then because he, there's still a lot of work to be done. But awesome conversation. Welcome Nikita Kucherov to the pantheon of Stanley Cup celebrations. He joins. Oh, buddy, who who have we seen over the years? Corey Crawford, legendary. Alex, Alex Ovechkin. Ovechkin maybe maybe the best ever you go back to go back to the early 90s penguins as i often do with phil bork and those guys like going going ballistic with it but kucherov dialed it up yesterday baby the lightning had their had their boat parade kucherov with like again another what a what a what a run for him man i it's it's a tough i know there's there's people who are mad about it because the cup got deaded and that's always that's always a that's always a big deal. Is that bad? Is it bad that the cup got I don't, I don't. I don't care. I'm trying to be diplomatic. That doesn't matter. Like, look, we know, we know what that thing's seen over the years, right? We've had all sorts of debauchery and uh, and and uh, you know 
all the all the cup ending up in odd places stories we've all we, we've all heard them so it's it's tough to get it's tough to get wound up over <laughs> over the over the dent in the top big as it was um but man i i again i just you know you love you love seeing it this is what it's about I, I think it's just fun whether it's whether it's Kucherov or Patty Maroon or whoever just to see these guys in action and you can kind of sense just what a uh, how how fun the victory lap can be and what and what a release it is for them this year because it really is it's kind of like it's kind of like two years of stacked up stacked up uh, you know drama and in, in whatever else you can you can finally do it the right way after after one year in the bubble and and, and all that stuff just a unreal. Un, un, unreal performance, um, and I'm I'm psyched to see I'm, I'm psyched to see what's next. We have like Jesus, we got we have months of of these guys of these guys getting their respective days with it. It's it's going to be fun. They've 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 set the bar quite high. Are people still mad at Kuch or are we all just on board with it now? I I you know I, I saw people because I, I wrote I wrote off of off of Kucherov's press conference and I'm the I, I truly try to not. Like I'm cognizant of straw men, right? I don't, I don't want to make it yeah. seem like everybody's upset about something when it's just, you know, three crybabies. People are pissed. People are, people are still, still pissed. You look, I'm telling you, man. You look at, and it's it, like whether it's disrespecting the cup or acting like a bad example for children, or you know, my, you know, Adam players wouldn't, would, wouldn't do this. Blah blah. Wouldn't drink Bud Lights and yeah, great. Things. I go, go. <laughs> Go talk. Go talk. Go talk to a hockey player if 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 you think that if it, if you think that this isn't directly in character. So I'm I'm loving it. It's been a fun few days. I'm psyched. I'm psyched to see what those what those freaks do with a cup over over the next few months. It's awesome. I I wanted to before we wrap up. I wanted to talk a little bit about Pekka Rene. Um, you know, Sean, I've loved Pekka Rene for a long time. As long, I truly as long as as long as I've known you. Yeah, you bought you bought you bought stock early on Pekka Rene, my friend. I was in early with with Pekka, and um, he he announced his retirement today. Fifteen NHL seasons. He's got a Vesna Trophy. Um, Adam Vingan, our Predators beat writer, called him the greatest player in Predators history, which is uh, you know uh, absolutely. He, He's going to have his number retired. Uh, I, like this is, he's going to go down as as one of the best. And I, for me personally, like it, it all ties to like games I've been to and series I've covered. Mm-hmm. And watching him almost, I don't want to say single handedly because it was a good Predators team, but beat the Red Wings for the first time. Like the, the Predators were like the little brother to the big brother Red Wings for a stretch of time in the postseason and in the regular season. And Pekarene was so dominant and when this was against a really good Detroit team like this is peak close to peak Detroit powers and Pekka went out and just it, he looked unstoppable like it just wasn't giving up rebounds stopped everything he's gigantic and I remember thinking boy th- maybe that's when I just completely went all in on him and and um being in that Predators dressing room after they won that series um and just you know seeing the uh, how much he was just adored by teammates. It was just like, I love this guy. And he couldn't have been a better guy and has always been re- really gracious with his time and j- just a good dude. And so I, I wanted to recognize, because it's it's easy to get these retirements lost in the shuffle um, yeah. of busy off-season time. We have an expansion draft coming up. We have the NHL draft. We have free agency. We have trades. And so uh, someone like Pekka, that can slide under the radar. And I just wanted to recognize 
the incredible career he had. Um, and, you know, he's, he's one of those many goalies developed by Mitch Korn, who uh, one of the, you know, he's, his impact on the game is huge. But Pekka Rene was, was great for them. And, and what a career he's had. Unbelievable. I'm glad we got to watch him pass the torch to UC Saros, too, yeah. because, you know, not for nothing, that uh, Pekka's career was in danger with the with the hip issues, with the, you know, he had E. coli in his hip at one point. I mean, he, he dealt with some pretty gnarly stuff over the year to the point where, you know, I think there was a stretch where, where he said he would have been playing in 2021. Someone would have called you a liar. So, for, yeah. him, to stick around, for him to stick around and be able to kind of usher that franchise in, in, into the next phase, it's a, pretty, it's a pretty cool thing. So, happy trails to him. That's amazing. Um, okay. A couple of things um, to highlight here at the end. I do want to – we mentioned Jeremy Rutherford in the Vladimir Tarasenko trade rumors. I think it's worth going and listening. He joined Ian Mendez and Haley Salvian. Mm-hmm. Who are not our, our tribals uh, on this podcast? No. I think we've I think we've established that they're more friend. Although um, Haley seemed mad. To, uh, did you have Dom on or something? She didn't like that we we, we tried to commandeer Dom at some point. Um, I think she's just I think she's just generally not a fan of my of my uh, burgeoning alliance with Mister Lustrician. Yes. <laughs> I mean the fact that you just effortlessly say that last name. Um, <laughs> I you know that that's. So, like, I, 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 their, their show's great. And you should probably listen to the Friday show with Corey and, and Max, if for no other reason <laughs> to listen to Max, who's our, our favorite, of course. Our best, Actually, our best friend. Max, our best friend, oh. um, in last week. We did a little Athletic Detroit reunion. And it's just, he's everything you I want saw to that, do. man. I was, I, was, I, was je- I was jealous of all you guys because it's been, I mean, my God, I've, I haven't seen you in person in a year same goes for max so he's he's gonna he's gonna be making a pittsburgh trip here in a, in a little bit Is by he? the way yeah yeah our, our buddy we, we have mutual friend mike persak who, who covers the pirates for the post gazette him and max went to school together uh he's a grand grand rapids boy also so max is gonna be making a visit at some point soon i'm i'm, I'm psyched my only fear is that he brings Corey with him <laughs> Yeah, I think he's required to, but you have to bring your podcast uh, partner. That's you and I, of course. You went on a field yeah, trip no, recently I, well, to the Grand Canyon. That's um, right. Yeah. That's right. We're we're shopping. We're shopping for tandem bicycles for, for us to ride around <laughs> together. Yes. Uh, the last thing, if you're not a subscriber to the Athletic, of course, subscribe. But I, I want to encourage you to go into the comments section, and I'm pulling them up right now of specifically this episode of this podcast because this is where we interact best with our listeners. Last week, I asked for some guest ideas, and the first one was perfect. It was Phil Kessel, who I think, despite his, um, I would say, reluctance to do media, I would, because Sean has, they, they share a voice, it would be great. <laughs> is that is that actually is that actually true? Everyone says that, and it, 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 it always bothers me a little bit. I don't think oh, it does. Sound you, don't like, you don't like that bit that Phil Kessel and you sound exactly I just, the no, same. I just, I, I just, I just like to think of myself as perfectly unique in, in every, in every single way. So, so, so to hear that I share a voice with anybody is, is a... Uh, disarming here's what i would say well i mean if we could get him on and and uh rich and aaron if you're listening to this with the coyotes if you can set this up we would we, we do want phil and and even though he's gonna say no maybe you have to twist his arm um I, that we could settle that like if for no other reason we should have phil kessel on to put this i think where it started sean is because your your imitation of him saying good one randy was <laughs> so was good it. It, it was a little too good and that's what that's what did it should I just start doing impersonations on on the podcast continually? I might I might I might turn that into a bit. Everyone loves them. Everyone loves impersonations. Loves Do they? Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Uh, someone else suggested Chris Peters, who then went on Max and Corey Pronin's podcast. So Chris is also dead to us. <laughs> um, so that's out. Lou Nanny, a great suggestion from Thomas yeah. M in the comments. We also are compiling our list of no-fly words. The words are phrases we can't use. We are no longer allowed to use galaxy brain. I'm not allowed to go, yeah, no, in the same phrase, which I apparently break all the time. It's going to be tough for you. It's going to be tough for me. has suggested that we add pop to the no-fly list, um, only to be used if referring to soda. And so I'm trying to figure out, if so we can say, like, yeah, pop, which is the correct way to refer to any, like, soda or coke or I, don't know if I, I, I don't know if i've gone over this I, I i grew up saying pop and then switched to soda because i just got tired of getting ridiculed when i was in when, when i was in college i'm a i'm a, I'm a turncoat what, what i don't know with jonathan and you might have to clarify it and then in the comments mm-hmm. to this episode jonathan if you don't like it in other references like hey this is gonna pop that's my guess is he only wants us to use pop if we're referring to soda I shouldn't be a problem. I don't, I don't say, know that we hey, do that all that much i think i think, uh, I think this draft this player is gonna pop I don't think we do. It's easy, easy enough. Uh, a request for John Forsland, which would be great. I think that would be really good. Um, yeah, we, 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 I, I want to do a Kraken episode come, coming up here is, is, uh, or have a Kraken guest at, at, at some point. Yeah, we, we definitely have to, and, and that's in the works. Um, a episode, and this may be a full 60 when we roll this back, but uh, this is a great idea by Thomas N., on the 96 Team USA World Cup of Hockey that, you know, the Ron Wilson-led Lou Lamarillo put it together. Uh, incredible run that's, you know, this it's it's a great story. I think it's a great narrative. That, that's So the full 60 is going to come back in the fall as a narrative podcast. And I'm looking forward to listening to it, not doing all the work that goes into doing it because those are hard. But I think that definitely <clears throat> that definitely deserves more than the two of us. Deserves more than like yeah, us having Madonna. BSing, on yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so Thomas M, I hear that, and that it's going to be that's a great idea, and I think it's going to happen based on your comment, and mm. I love that idea. Love um, it. Let's see. Kevin R says he loves the podcast, even though he says we're number two behind Max and Corey. I, I think that's a plant. Um, by clearly sent by the other. What was his? What was his name? Kevin R. All right, I'm gonna do some do some recon. See how many Kevin R's Corey has in, in his in, in his circle. Um, Ryan Lambert request from Jimmy L. If you never heard of him, never heard of him. <laughs> Sean has a podcast with Ryan Lambert. If you want Sean and Ryan, um, that's I think there's plenty of tape of that. <laughs> yeah, it's us talking about chips and punk bands. So you can pay four dollars a month to, to hear that. Kevin W says, if every episode you list the words or phrases that are banned, it sort of defeats the purpose. It's a good point. Well, but like, but we want to, we want to, we want people to know though. We want people to know that we're responding to their concerns. Yeah, Kevin, I disagree. I, as much mm-hmm. as I love every commenter and each one is like a child to me, um, <laughs> I would have to say we're not using the phrases in, throughout the podcast. We're just referencing them at the end so people know what's banned. All, all commenters are tied as your third favorite child. We all know who's in fourth place. <laughs> Max? Oh, Max is number one. All right. Well, that's a wrap. Uh, Thanks again to Scott Wheeler for joining the podcast. Um, Again, subscribe, read all his coverage. It's incredible. He's about to hit overdrive. It's it's great. Uh, Sean, great work again. Thank you You for listening to you, the listener, and have a great day.